Hello and welcome to the Tefauti podcast series. And I'm delighted to welcome Charlie Mayhew, MBE, who's known massively in the sort of conservation space for his founder position of the Tusk Trust, which is a UK-based conservation NGO with His Royal Highness, the Duke of of, uh, Cambridge, as an active royal patron. While most of his corporate life, it was in the financial services, he's had numerous exploratory trips out to Africa for years prior to co-founding Tusk in 1990. Tusk's mission is to amplify the impact of progressive conservation initiatives across Africa. Much like Tafauti, uh, works with reputable partners on the ground in order to get lasting change to benefit both the people and, of course, wildlife. So welcome to the Tafauti podcast, Charlie. Great to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thanks, Krista. No problem. So, Charlie, you and I um, go pretty far back, actually, more into my capacity even before Tafauti was was born with Galana Wildlife Conservancy um, and Tusk have sort of got these administrative partners that I that I that helped us through that process and you've grown exponentially since since then I just love our, our listeners to sort of hear a little bit about about that journey and and how you've sort of directed it well uh, you know the, the the background to Tusk is is quite interesting I don't think you even know this that that uh, part of the stimulus uh, came from a trip that I did to the Galana River uh, oh, really? many, many, many years ago um, uh, when uh, I was staying with uh, uh, a wonderful um, friend of mine called Marcus Russell, um, and uh, he he took me on safari um, and, and basically sort of brainwashed me uh, into uh, becoming passionate about uh, about wildlife and conservation, and 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 this was really at the height of the of the last great poaching crisis uh, in the eighties, when we were losing something like a hundred thousand elephants a year across Africa to to the ivory trade. So, so um, so actually there is there is a there's a direct connection with the Galapagos. Um, but it, but I, my love of Africa sort of stemmed from when I left school and uh, uh, I, I travelled out initially to South Africa um, and um, nothing to do with, with wildlife conservation or anything like that. But it, 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 was an, it was an introduction to the continent and it, and it sort of um, it whetted my appetite to explore more of it. And, and, uh, uh, and I was, uh, once I'd returned home and started my sort of corporate life, I was just sort of longing to get back to Africa and, and uh, see more of it. And I, I came up with a sort of harebrained idea to take a group of young people aged between sort of 20 and 25 to travel uh, the length of, of Africa. And we basically uh, created an expedition and we drove from London to Cape Town over a period of seven months. Amazing. And, it, and yeah. in order to justify that journey, uh, we decided we'd better take on some projects. And uh, so that, that first project that we undertook was at Lake Nakuru National Park in Kenya. Right. Where, uh, famous for its flamingos, of course, but they wanted to introduce rhino into, into the park. And uh, in order to uh, secure those rhinos, they needed to put up a, a fence. Uh, which didn't exist at the time. So so my team were were involved and we were given a section of the perimeter fence line to put up. And uh, so that was really my first sort of entree into the wildlife conservation world and and, 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 uh, set me on the path that we've, you know, we've carried on. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Gosh, I didn't know there was so much sort of Kenya, really, that had played such a, a big part in uh, in sort of the early stages, should I say. And a lot of what, you know, Tusk have been doing in their, in their model, sort of using trusted partners, should I say, on the ground in specific areas. And that's kind of very much what we've emulated with Defauti is to sort of, whilst we think we always know the solutions, actually people who live it and breathe it and understand the complexities on the ground um, give us kind of that that opportunity to know how to sort of to do it. Um, do you reckon this is the best model that, that we could adopt or is there other ways or have you sort of tweaked it or thought about it in different ways? Because um, that was obviously something you implemented some time back and, and something we've obviously taken on board because I do think there's a lot of value in that. They live it. It's the immersive piece, isn't uh, it? They, they know yeah, what they're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, interesting enough, you know, when, when I set up Task uh, and we were very small, uh, you know, and we're still not a huge organisation, but, but but it was by necessity that we needed to try and identify and seek out the people that we felt were the best uh, conservation partners on the ground who were implementing the, you know, the work and, and having a real impact. Uh, because, you know, as an, the organisation, the size we were, there was no way that we were going to uh, to be sort of own and manage a project ourselves you know mm -hmm. I always saw ourselves really as an interface between uh, the individuals you know the experts on the ground um, and and the donor community and, and helping to represent their work to the donor community and so that's really how that model uh, developed and and uh, you know, I sometimes use the analogy of being a little bit like a fund manager, where right. we're trying to seek out the best possible investments that we can get the best return on our investment. Um, Absolutely. But we're, not, we're not actually doing the work ourselves. Um, but of course, what's actually happened over the years is that portfolio of projects that we've built up um, mm -hmm. are based on some really long-term partnerships, because conservation as you know is not a quick fix you it's a very long-term game so so um we've built up this very strong portfolio of partnerships and and the, the what's really interesting to me is is how we're, we're now adding more value to that by uh, introducing our partners from across the continent to each other so that they can learn from each other's um uh, mistakes and solutions and, and we have a conservation symposium that we uh, where we gather these people together you know every other year and it's it's fascinating to see the exchange of ideas and um, uh, and, 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 and the collaboration that, that can be stimulated through this portfolio um, yeah. ultimately you know we leave it to the experts on the ground and we trust in them um, but we build a, we build a lasting partnership, and, and uh, it's not just about putting money in or raising the money, putting money in. It is it's more than that. It's you know we can provide uh, considerable additional advice and, and, and support in, in a number of areas. Yeah, I guess, and we've spoken about it a lot in the podcast series around uh, this collaborative, this need for collaboration in our space. Um, you know, whether it's sort of protecting donors or whether it's whatever it may be, you know, I, I do think we need to sort of think a bit more holistically rather than sort of be blinkered and just think about number one, if we're actually going to make an impact collectively. 
um, together. And we sort of, at times, I feel like we sort of work in isolation within the conservation space. And um, it's so frustrating. Like, it's just like a business. Of course it is. You know, you've got to be competitive and you've got to know what your edges are and all those things. But at the same time, I do think, you know, with the underlying sort of end goal that hopefully we're all united by, um, you know, I think there is a space or, or, or definitely worth a, a conversation. So really interesting that Tusk kind of really driving that to try and get people sort of together collectively um, to speak about it. Absolutely. And I just mean, sort of moving up. Sorry, carry on. Sorry, I was going to say that it, it, I think it's, it, it is really important also at times for us to sort of step back and, 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 and take a sort of a higher level view uh, uh, overarching view of what's happening across the continent. And I think that the danger has been that we've been, uh, you know, many conservationists have been so preoccupied and focused on their own initiative um, that, they, that, that sometimes you forget to set it in the context of not only Africa, but actually in terms of what's going on in terms of climate change, you know, the environment, um, population, you know, on, on, a, on a sort of much greater scale, on a global scale, and, and certainly on a continental scale. And, and I think that it's really important that we we uh, view, you know, projects within uh, the scope of all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, it sounds it sounds huge, but I guess if we all sort of buy into it, we all kind of uh, are sort of a cog in a wheel. Um, I guess during this this pandemic, I mean, it, we can't get away from the fact that the current climate has obviously hindered our our environments quite quite hugely. And you guys uh, at Tusk came up with the initiative of the Wildlife Rangers Challenge in order to try and I guess you know build on that unity and uh, kind of get this scout uh, sort of uh, body working together across the whole the whole continent. Um, you know, we've spoken about rangers on the front line a lot um, uh, and their, their operations that they have to do. How did it go? And, um, and you know, has, how, how have you guys sort of come out of, of that challenge and, and have the rangers really, so did they, they seem to seemingly bought into it. I saw it on social media. It looked like a great initiative. It, it was. It was a fantastic, uh, I mean, it was an experiment. Um, but thankfully, it resonated not only with the ranger community, uh, but also the public uh, globally. So, so in the end, it was a huge success. But um, and it, and the idea really sort of stemmed partly from uh, our annual Lewa Marathon, which I know you you've been to and and, and taken part in. Um, and because this year we had to pivot and and switch the marathon into a virtual challenge, uh, which in itself was a hugely success successful. Um, we, um, I was approached by um, uh, Jonathan Bailey, from who runs an organisation uh, called Natural State in, in the US, and, and he came. And we, we we were talking about the the fact that so many rangers were either losing their jobs or having massive uh, salary cuts, up to eighty percent of their salaries uh, cut as a result of the pandemic, and. There was a real concern that that um, you know, the, those people working on the front line of conservation uh, were not going to be able to to um, carry on doing their work, uh, and that you know there was a real risk that we were going to you know perhaps lose you know the last sort of thirty years of of, uh, of, of conservation 
uh, success and, 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 and progress, you know, mm-hmm. overnight just because of this pandemic. So, so we, we, we were incredibly fortunate that we had uh, a philanthropist called Mark, uh, Mark Scheinberg, who at the beginning of the, of the COVID crisis put aside extraordinarily $50 million to support causes impacted by COVID. And he very generously put up a challenge grant to us of $5 million for conservation. And he's, he was particularly concerned about rangers. So we came up with the ranger challenge and it was a series of physical challenges that culminated in a half marathon uh, for rangers um, running and competing virtually in their own uh, protected areas. Uh, we had over 1,000 rangers take part um, uh, in 20 countries. I think it was 120 different protected areas. So it was fantastic. And actually what was really fun was that there was a WhatsApp group that was set up between them. The, 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 uh, the content, the communications that, that carried on over a process of about a month and the lead up to the challenge and, and the, uh, the uh, uh, footage and the, and the stills that we were getting from all these ranges being shared amongst them, suddenly what it did is it really engendered uh, this extraordinary sort of camaraderie and, and sense of them belonging to a bigger movement. And, and that's one of the feedbacks that we've had from the challenge. And that was a, a sort of byproduct of it, if you like. But ultimately, what it did is it, it unlocked the $5 million, um, which was a match. So here today, as we, you know, um, we've now uh, basically secured $10 million in support for rangers right across the continent. And most of that money has gone out. Um, and I think that we've the, the latest figure that I heard was over 10,000 rangers uh, being supported with their salaries, uh, protecting their livelihoods. And, and, and importantly, um, of course, you know, their dependents as well. So, so this is really impacting on probably anything between 60 and 100,000 um, people. Yeah. No, absolutely amazing. I think we we all take it for granted, you know, in the UK, things like a furlough system and some of the other benefits that that um, sort of Western communities have, have come up with within this pandemic. And, and there's just nothing of the sort in Africa. You know, a lot of people are hand to mouth. That's the reality of the environments um, that we're in and, and running also running a conservancy. I, I, I know firsthand operationally how difficult it is. And we're all in survival mode. We're absolutely in survival mode. And uh, it's understandable because of the lack of tourism, et cetera. But, you know, having that ability to just provide some form of revenue or, or income for these guys uh, who are on the front line fighting for conservation every day. I, you know, hats off to you for to be able to sort of secure that kind of uh, funding and obviously start uh, dispersing it through the Tusk Network to be able to, to support those rangers. And talking of the Tusk Network, um, you know, and, and some of the amazing projects that you guys have done, um, you've been involved, you know, as we've said, across the continent. Um, I know this is a really hard question to ask you, uh, but which one of those projects, I guess, has really resonated with you kind of the most? I don't want to your favourite partner or whatever it may be, um, you know, and, and why? Um, you know, I'm just interested from a personal perspective as to, yeah. to why you would, would sort of single one out. Yeah, no, Krista, it is. That's a really difficult question, and and uh, you know, I've got a number of favourites, if you like, and I shouldn't probably even say that, but but you know, right across the continent, I mean, you know, I've been very fortunate to have 
traveled the length and breadth of Africa over many, many years and, and visited so many projects. And I'm always inspired and humbled by the work that all our partners do. But I guess if I was to, um, you know, one of the ones that, that I am very close to uh, and, and, and it's a, a partnership that has existed over 25 years um, has been the combination of uh, the Labour Wildlife Conservancy and the Northern Rangers Trust. And, um, you know, Labour is obviously particularly well known uh, as, a, as a conservancy and, and we were involved in supporting Labour right from, from the outset when it was established as a conservancy. So it's been really fascinating to see it evolve and, 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 and succeed in the way that it has. And obviously, we've for 20 years, we've run the marathon out of Labour, mm -hmm. which, is, which has always been a lot of fun. Um, and, but but what, I've, what I really uh, get a huge amount of satisfaction from um, when I think back over the years of Tusk is, is, is the, uh, the development of um, the community conservancies and, and the sort of um, the mosaic of, of community conservancies that have been born out of Ian Craig's work and, and the, the work of the Labour Wildlife Conservancy uh, that then moved into, um, was then put, in, put under the umbrella of the Northern Rangers Trust. And Tom mm -hmm. was, was uh, involved in putting uh, funding into a number of those community conservancies from very early days before the Northern Rangers Trust was set up. Um, right. We continue to fund those conservancies. And it's covering a vast landscape now of, of, of Northern Kenya, as you well know, uh, and mm -hmm. impacting on you know, tens of thousands of, of, of people. So um, that to me uh, has been uh, really uh, one of the greatest examples of how conservation has sort of shifted from the sort of the fortress mentality uh, into this much more holistic community-based approach uh, that is able to support you know wildlife lives outside national parks and and to give them protection but more importantly give the communities uh, the ability to uh, derive real benefits uh, from protecting that that landscape and their natural heritage. I think people go quite surprised when you sort of throw out stats that sort of 60-70% of wildlife are actually in non-protected areas, sort of conservancies or whatever it may be. And I think people are quite surprised by that statistic. But it's it's the way that we depict the narrative. It's the fact that communities play such a big part. Uh, and obviously Ian sort of alluded to, to that model uh, extensively during his podcast um, with us. Um, I totally agree. I have to say, I, I spend a lot of time with NRT, of course, uh, and 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 am very, very um, proud of, of what they've been able to achieve here on the on the on the sort of Kenyan landscape. Um, I guess my one my one question to Tusk really is is, I guess, learning as well. And I don't think I have the answers. I absolutely, you know, I'm here to learn too. Um, I've sort of tried to keep Tafauti quite small and nimble and, and responsive as best I can. Um, and Tusk has kind of you know, by by the nature of what you've grown to has become, you know, quite a, 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 a has got a massive sort of footprint across the continent now. It's sort of a control question, you know, how do you sort of work out, you know, who, where, what, and, and how does that process work just so that people can kind of understand it? And I can understand a bit more as well. I think that, that um, 
it goes back to that analogy I used earlier about being a, the, the sort of the fund manager. It's, it's uh, you know, when we take on a, a project and get behind a project to support it, you know, we've done considerable due diligence and, and uh, you know, really sort of try to sort of dive down into the detail. But ultimately what we're doing was investing in people. And so, you know, if the leaders, the leaders behind that project are... Uh, credible and have uh, can demonstrate a, a real track record and and uh, uh, and a commitment to conservation. Then then that's that's half the story. Um, but um, uh, yes, I mean it's interesting. We at one point our portfolio was was bigger than it was than it is now. Um, we did a strategic review a couple of years ago, uh, whereby we felt that actually we just needed to uh, just trim back, uh, you know, so that we. Uh, didn't fall into the trap of of, of um, spreading ourselves too thinly and, and and diluting the impact of of what we're trying to do, um, but it is um, you know by developing the, the the relationship and the partnerships that we have with each of the projects is that we have got a very uh, you know strong flow of of communication with those projects. Um, there's a there's a lot of trust involved, um, but we, you know we are we're always trying to uh, to encourage them to push the boundaries, be innovative, uh, and uh, to uh, you know really uh, make sure that they are measuring uh, the the impact of what they're doing, so that we can go back to our donors and really really uh, you know demonstrate uh, the. the the impact of, of the donor's investment in the first place, and, and um, you know, I don't I don't see it as as, as, as a matter of control. Uh, you know, it is about really trusting these individuals, these great conservationists, to to conduct the work that you know that we're backing, and and to um, so you know, I think it is important that we, one doesn't spread oneself. I mean, we we have to sadly we turn away a lot of projects that we would love to support. Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, there is a limit to how much revenue you know we've got available to to distribute, and and I you know I'll be the first one to say I hate saying no, but I you know at the end of the day it, it is really important that we're able to uh, go back to our donors and say yeah no we're really having an impact by focusing on these on these partnerships. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that whole sort of, you know, get it's a balance, isn't it? And I guess you kind of try and work out who are your trusted guys? Who do you know well? Who do you know delivers? You know, I think we're having a, we've got a responsibility going forward where, you know, there's a lot more expectation for people to get feedback and get impact data and, and all of that kind of thing. And I do think people now are, are requesting it a lot more because they want to check, you know, that things are going where they should be. And we as as the NGOs or the, or the charities on the ground have a responsibility to provide that feedback loop. Um, so I, I totally agree. And, and I'm the same as you. I hate turning people away. But sometimes it's kind of in order to make sure that you can provide that uh, uh, that kind of uh, intel is, is so important to complete it. So just to sort of um, round up, I guess, and sort of finalize, you, you guys being based mostly in, in obviously the UK, but also the States, et cetera deal with a, sort of the donor side and that's a lot of our listeners out there who are kind of going listen we know the problems we know the plights we see it on tv you know a lot of the time I sort of a lot of people say to me how do we help you know if it's not always just financial uh, which is obviously lovely for you and I in our both our capacities to get 
Uh, there's also other ways that people can get involved. Like, have you seen sort of anything where we, some advice of somebody wanting to get involved in sort of wildlife protection on our continent? Yeah, it, I, you know, I'm trying. Ultimately, you know, we all need money in order to, mm-hmm. to deliver the, you know, the work on the ground. Um, but I think there, are, there, you know, there are other things, and actually, this pandemic has really, uh, you know, uh, emphasised it. Is we need to get people back to Africa in, in, from tourism. I think it's it's very easy for people to forget and, or to not understand that that tourism underpins so much of conservation. You know, you look at a country like Uganda. You know, all of its entry, all its park entry fees, and same with Kenya, but but particularly it's bad in, in Uganda. You know, that that underpins their budget for, for, for managing those national parks. And so, uh, you know, uh, that's all gone out the window. Um, we need to, and uh, I, I, I really hope that uh, that tourism recovers uh, as quickly. I fear it won't, but I but I hope it recovers pretty quickly because we over and above the, the support that NGOs like, you know, Task and Tafaji provide for projects, you know, we need that tourism back there. And, and uh, so, um, you know, that's one way, I'm, you know, we, we get um, we get inundated by people asking whether, you know, their, their children, you know, when they leave school can go and work on conservation. Yeah. It's a tricky one. But there are some very good organisations out there that are set up for it. We, we're not, unfortunately. But, but um, there are some good organisations that, that, you know, are able to provide that sort of opportunity. And, and uh, the more we can expose people to uh, the huge value, the unique value that Africa's natural heritage has to offer and why the world needs to come together to protect it, uh, then the better. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I think the other thing that we need to uh, remember that whenever we do uh, travel, uh, wherever, wherever it is in the world, um, is not to get tempted into buying uh, anything that could potentially be illegal wildlife products. That mm-hmm. you know, it is that consumer demand that is um, basically underpinning the illegal wildlife trade, whether it be for ivory or rhino horn or you know pangolin in lion parts. You know, so we just have to be really careful uh, that visiting you know places like the, in the Far East, for instance, that you're not inadvertently buying something that is stimulating that trade. Mm. No, absolutely. It's an awareness thing, isn't it, Charlie? That sort of latter, latter point, and just sort of like you know, getting under the surface of what actually the materials are for said said item. Um, but on that piece of Africa gets under your skin, um, and I guess you and I are, are definitely one of those one of those people that it's it's done exactly that, and and that's what keeps us coming back. So as soon as we can obviously open up and it's safe to do so um you know we'd love to sort of welcome people over to see it um and sort of connect with us whether that's through a volunteering capacity or of course um coming to sort of see some of the amazing spectacles that we have um charlie thank you so much uh, for your time on behalf of tusk joining us uh on the tafalti pod it's been really really interesting to sort of speak to you as sort of a almost a big brother to us in some ways uh sort of sort of paving the way as it were um so thank you really do appreciate it and uh have a lovely christmas uh well Christopher, thank you so much it's been a real pleasure and uh you know and, and 
carry on doing the fantastic work that Jahad is doing and, and uh, I'm quite sure that you will continue to, I know the energy and the commitment and the passion you have for, for this, that, you know, uh, it, you know, you will continue to build uh, your organisation uh, with great success. I'm quite sure of that. And Thank you so much. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you. I'm Krista Cullen. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to know more about Tefauti and our projects, please do visit us on tefauti.org. T-O-F-A-U-T-I. T-O-F-A-U-T-I.